If you like the Smug Film Podcast, do yourself a favor and head over to patreon.com slash smugfilm, where we've got a bunch of great rewards if you donate to the show. For $1 a month, you'll get a bonus mini episode of the show every Monday in your inbox, as well as access to all of our past mini episodes. These episodes will never be available on iTunes or anywhere else. The only way to hear them is by donating $1 a month or more through patreon.com slash smugfilm. For $5 a month, You'll get the bonus episodes, plus we'll do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on one episode a month. Whether you want us to plug your website, your movie, your small business, the movie The Protector with Tony Jaw, whatever it is, we'll plug it. And for $10 a month, you'll get the bonus episodes, plus we'll do that 30-second plug on every single episode of the show. So once again, that URL is patreon.com slash smugfilm. Head over there today, and we look forward to your kind donation. And now on to the show. Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico. Yo. Jenna Ipcar. Yo. And live via Skype, Harry Brewis. Howdy. Good to have you, man. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been like over a year. Yeah, uh, man. Last time we spoke, I was living above a living room. And I remember while I was recording, my uh, roommate was just sitting on a couch staring at me, trying to make things feel awkward. <laughs> Right on. Um, what was he wearing? I mentioned that at the time. It was it was creepy. He he had this hoodie that he got from one of his ex girlfriends with like Domo Kun on the front, and he just would wear that nonstop for weeks. It was horrible. Oh man! I'm so glad I don't live there anymore. Hope he's listening. I was picturing him in yeah. just a robe, to be honest. Yeah, I had to uh, actually throw. I have a cat now. I, I took it out of my room so it doesn't make a noise. Uh, his name is actually Cody. Really? Yeah. Um, was that a deliberate tribute? Oh no no! It was a bizarre coincidence. Oh, I was I, I was, it was a tribute. hoping for um, deliberate tribute. Maybe it's your familiar. Yeah. It could be. <laughs> yeah. How do you know yeah. it's not actually just just me? That's true. I, you, you, I've never seen you in the same place at the same time. Am I in the room right now as you're talking to me? The, I mean, me being the cat version. Is the cat me in no, the room? No. Exactly. I, I took him out because the cat has a tendency to scream repeatedly if you stroke him, and I want to stroke him, and also. <laughs> Uh, See, it's occasionally it's like looking starts, into a mirror. Harry, you missed yeah. the very uncomfortable stretch Cody did when he said, <laughs> "What if it's just me?" Yeah, it was it was rough. All right, so Harry's here because I read an article and I liked it, and I was like, "Hey, Harry, you'd like this?" And he was like, "Nah, this is terrible." But I wanted to explain <laughs> how it's terrible because I liked it. It was about Jar Jar, and it's written by some guy that some Reddit guy that. I'm not going to pronounce the name right because it's a made up stupid name. It's uh shit. What is it? Lumpawaru? <laughs> God. Name's Lumpawaru. Uh, this is Lumpawaru's theater. Th- is that theory. a Star Wars guy? Is that why his name that? It sounds like one. Doesn't That's it sound like question. a Star Wars guy? Lumpawaru. He sounds OC. delicious. He does. Do you, do you know if that's an actual Star Wars guy? No. Lumpus Gumpus? I, I, I have a habit of... Of knowing as little about Star Wars canon as possible. In fact, I haven't seen any of the trailers for the new one. Oh, Jesus. You know what? I have tried really hard to not spoil myself with anything, except I watched the trailers and that was it. Uh, what did you think of the trailers? Uh, you know, like, I'm trying not to... I'm cautiously optimistic about this. Me too. Yeah, like, I'm trying not to get into it, but I thought they looked really good. But I feel like also J.J. Abram already did Star Wars when he did Star Trek, so... Like, <laughs> His first Star Trek was awesome, that's though. What I'm, well, but it just wasn't Star Trek, it, but it was Star Wars. So he already did I it. I don't think so. That first Star Trek was reminded me of the original series a lot. 
It was yeah. fast and colorful and All silly. All right, kids, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. All right. We're, we're gonna no, talk, let's talk about Star Trek. I mean, now we're going to yeah. talk about the most interesting aspect of Star Wars, which is the prequels. Jar Jar Everybody loves and it. And Lumpus Grumpus' yeah. review of Star Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Lumpuru, okay. if, if we're pronouncing it wrong, please call into the show. Leave us a voicemail, <laughs> 718-395-9711. Tell us how to pronounce your name, please, because I, I really dig your article. I liked it. It's a, it's about Jar Jar, and it's about how Jar Jar is secretly like this really smart, conniving character, and it compares like his his physicality to uh, classic uh, drunken boxing styles of martial arts, and I think it's really cool. And Harry says it's shit. So Harry, why is it shit again? Well, it's kind of a funny way of looking at it. It's like an entertaining clickbait article, but it's wrong because of what Jar Jar is in the story of Star Wars. Fans don't like him because he's he doesn't fit into the original dynamic of the uh, original movies. He's kind of where Han Solo would be, but instead he's just this guy who's kind of silly and clumsy and everyone hates him. And he doesn't talk in a respectable way, you know, so people make fun of that. And he's even hated by his own people. And yet somehow he becomes this great politician who's also responsible for dooming the world. And the article says, oh, what if he was doing all this on purpose to try and destroy society as we know it? Right. And I think that's kind of messed up in its own way. Like, uh, fans have been editing Jar Jar out of the prequels uh, for a long time. There's lots of versions that take him out entirely or edit his dialogue to be an alien language so they can change him to be respectable. Oh, I didn't Let's hear about it- that. What's the alien language thing? Um, they redub the audio. Um, hmm. in their own cut to be like just a bunch of alien noises and then they add subtitles to say what they want them to be saying. That's kind of interesting. That's kind of a smart way I to do I would do that it. with all of them. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Th- you could just rewrite all the dialogue and make Star Wars, you know, good movies. Yeah, because aren't but, uh, there those like the it's like that offensive like uh, Chinese like voiceover right at the beginning of Phantom Menace. They have like those two chancellors or whatever oh, that yeah. they're visiting and that's a, yeah. that's a little rough. Newt Gungray. Is that his Newt name? Gunray. New Gunray, yeah. Uh, why Gunray. do I, God, why do I know that? Why do you have that in your mind, John? I had that right in the Rolodex, ready to go. <laughs> Newt new Gunray. It was itching to get out. But uh, I had his toy. Really? I think he was fat. Did you play with it? Not really. Kind of just but, sat uh, on the shelf? Yeah. You can't really play with And then there was the other fat one, Boss Nass. I had I him too. Boss Nass. Yeah. I might I be getting mixed too. up. I feel like we're talking about new rappers because <laughs> they always have those names where it's like, I, I don't fully get it. Like, I, I feel like new rappers, they tend to have like AOL.com kind of screen name names. I, I, this like, is your best theory, actually. I that, to, that is I have one to of, give you credit for this. You've heard it before. I've, I've said it on YouTube, I mean, uh, Facebook, but, uh, you know, a lot of people listening to the show haven't hear, heard it. But yeah, that's my theory. It's all... It's all kids that grew up on AOL, and so now they're rappers, and they're all cool and stuff, and the, the names that they come up for themselves, it's influenced by the fact that they used to come up with names for themselves on AOL, so they have these weird-ass AOL names, like ASAP Rocky just sounds like an AOL <laughs> screen name to me. I digress. Point being that uh, Jar Jar, uh, his voice, and the voice of those like Chinese uh, Newt Gunray fellas... That was his AOL screen name, actually. Yeah. Basically, it was all pretty offensive. It's an attempt to edit uh, the Star Wars prequels to be what the fans want it to be. Right. Um, we ha- we're in this bizarre position with Star Wars where it's simultaneously a series of above average films and this giant cultural phenomenon that people have a huge boner for that has nothing to do with the actual movies itself. Have you ever been to Wikipedia? Yeah, that's John's uh, favorite That's domain. where I learned about jizz. 
Yeah. yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm, I'm the Star Wars correspondent. John. Of, uh, John learned a hell of a lot about jizz. On, uh, yeah. Are you familiar with jizz? Just go to go to Wikipedia. I'm not even going to tell you people what what you're going to find. Just just trust okay. me on this one. Buckle up. If you're if you're listening, well, you to told the, me that to the podcast. a friend of yours uh, did this to you, John, right? Yeah, like three in the morning, right? Yeah. Yes. Tell tell the story, please. I got a text in the middle of the night one night saying. Go to Star Wars Wikipedia and Google jizz. <laughs> and I did. And, we're, and there's a lot there. There is a lot there. And and there's subcat. There's jizz whalers. There's, <laughs> you can learn a lot. Wait, I just love right. how you lit up. You, you guys, John lit up so much when you said Wikipedia. And he goes, that's where I learned about jizz. <laughs> It's funny, but Wikipedia is, is deeply threatening to life as we know it on Earth. So Harry, um, um, you're, you're familiar with jizz, though, right? In, in, yeah. the, star, I'm familiar, in yeah. the Star Wars context, I mean, not yeah, in, right. in the life context, like, you know. No, no, no. I've never seen it in real life. Okay. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Do you know if Star Wars jizz predates Wikipedia? Like, is that something um, they documented? It, it originates from 27 BBY. Uh, so that's before the Battle of Yavin. <laughs> <laughs> no, fuck, seriously, everything, the entire timeline is based on that one battle. That's ev that's how they do it. That's it must entire... have been some battle. What happened? That's the battle that, of Yavin 4. That's Star the Trek end of uh, oh, Star Wars. Okay. It's the, it's the most pivotal moment in all of fucking history. All right, uh, okay. I mean, it's pretty okay. sweet. It is, it is sweet. I will give it the, its um, sweetness. Wikipedia has at last count, go to it now and check if you want, uh, 122,927 pages. I wrote it down last time I checked. Oh, Jesus. And it's like, it treats the Star Wars universe as if it's like this comprehensive, hermetically sealed timeline with just documents in it that they have to keep track of. Mm. In fact, but the problem is Star Wars isn't that. It's a series of films and films have properties to them that don't work when you try and turn it into like a, you know, a straightforward chain of events. Um... The, the wiki has all those articles, but it doesn't have anything on cinematography, editing, right. um, fantasy tropes. It does have an article for jizz and breasts, though. Breasts. Breasts. Um, is, is breasts yeah. another style of music? <laughs> no, there are, it's supposed to be some kind of, uh, it's like some kind of mammal organism. Wow, Damn it's right actually it just, is. wow. Yeah, yeah, it, they have to explain it. And don't look, look there, because there's pictures. It's, My other there's a lot of fan art. It's <laughs> not great. My other favorite Wikipedia article is one, it's something like Guy in the Green Coat, and it's just an alien in the background of one of the Star Wars cartoon shows in a green coat. And they just list him and say, we don't really know anything about him. <laughs> At least they're honest. At least they're not talking um, out of their ass. My, um, my third favorite after Jizz and Breasts on the Wikipedia page is uh, the page for Gilbert Taylor, the uh, cinematographer for A New Hope, because it lists his filmography, and this is it. Um, Dr. Strangelove... Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, and Star Wars the Interactive Video Board Game. Oh, no. And, he, and that's it. That's oh, all he did. That is... Apparently. That's a cliff he drove off of. That's a <laughs> yeah. yeah. How did, how did Strangelove make it into the Star Wars universe? Oh, no, they just mention it. I think the uh, it even links to a, with the Wikipedia page. There isn't a Wikipedia article for Strangelove. Standard exactly. Wikipedia? Uh, yeah, the, the regular wiki. Ewokopedia? Even the Strangelove wiki, which has a million articles. <laughs> All right, but, so uh, the, bring it back to Jar Jar real quick, because that's what people okay, came yeah. to listen to yeah. on this episode. Yeah. Well, I know everybody saw, saw Jar Jar a, appear on their uh, podcast, iTunes, whatever, and they were like, I'm clicking that. So, <laughs> yeah. um, this I brought up Wikipedia for a really good reason, because 
the mentality that Wikipedia breeds is sort of rampant in a lot of fandom culture, especially with Star Wars, where fans will treat any new material based on its fidelity to this older stuff. Uh, one reason, like, fans threw a massive fit when J.J. Uh, uh, Abrams and co. announced that they were throwing out the expanded universe. They were just going with what was in the movies. Mm. And people were, people just hadn't, they couldn't understand it. People were editing old uh, Wikipedia articles in protest to take out all the expanded universe stuff to reveal how kind of boring the story is without that stuff. But the whole point is that- So they all hate the movie? Yes, they hate the movies themselves. <laughs> wow. um, because so they don't, weird. because- yeah, films confound fans of Star Wars. Wow, that's um, a, that's a powerful and, statement right there. And I and think you're right. Is, I think you're dead yeah. on point with that, yeah. And the prequels, I think the prequels are pretty good. It's a controversial opinion. But I think fans hate the prequels generally because, they, because they're movies and they have things in them that they didn't expect because it doesn't fit with a timeline of like... Uh, if you look at the uh, Wikipedia, like as a whole, you're given the impression that the Jedi are the good guys when they're not the good guys in the prequels. Right. This leads into Jar Jar because Jar Jar does cause problems for the universe and he's also kind of weird. He's bumbling. Yeah, and fans hate that. That's not permissible. Why isn't he a badass? Why isn't he Han Solo too? So there's this need to either erase him by making their own cuts that take him out or to somehow, you know, redeem his character by saying, oh, he was secretly evil the whole time. And... I think that's what this article is playing into. Well, the thing, and, you know, the thing about the article too is it's it's kind of the cheapest way possible to do your own, you know, recut, re-edit of uh, the Star Wars prequels is to just, you know, plant a new interesting idea in the people's yeah. minds that maybe, you know, they don't care about Jar Jar anyway, so whatever. Yeah, but so it enables them to then rewatch the prequels with that in mind, and then maybe they'll get a little bit more enjoyment out of it. Yeah, but I think uh, if you want to rewatch the prequels, though, keep this in mind. Uh, who else hates Jar Jar? Answer, the Jedi. P- fans are identifying with the Jedi when they say that they think Jar Jar's annoying. That's, it's a, part in it that's where a great Qui-Gon point. Him out. Yeah, you're, um, you know, this, is, this isn't a character that everybody loves in the films. Yeah, yeah, the characters themselves don't like him because he's clumsy and sounds funny, and he doesn't talk common very well. And I think, like, the Jedi are set up as the bad guys in the prequels. Like, the first shot is them in the hooded, evil-looking cloaks. And then when they're sort of introduced with their lightsabers out, they're emerging from the fog like a shot out of Alien. You know, and they decimate these robots. And and the, uh, how else are they introduced? The Nemoidians, the new gunray types, they're all like, we're scared of these guys. We can't go in the room with these people. Right. We have to send a, thing, a guy with tea while we figure out what we're going to do about this, because this is spooky. That's how they introduced and, Darth Vader. I never thought of that. Yeah, but. yeah and here's the, the coolest link, is in the room, when, uh, when uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are talking between themselves, uh, he says, you know, these are... Uh, these Federation types are, uh, you know, wimps. They're they're afraid of us. They're cowards. Uh, they'll fold easily. When you know it, and it's shot exactly like the scene on the Death Star, where they talk about how fear will keep the local systems in line. Mm. So the whole point is, like, right off the bat, you have the Jedi are essentially enforcers for the supposed democracy of the Republic, but they're actually just keeping, you know, the peace in a very kind of straightforward way. And that's a criticism of the Jedi, and it, it's. No surprise that they, A, really don't like Jar Jar because he doesn't, you know, he isn't like a a prim and proper weird monk type. And they also really don't do anything about, you know, the whole peace and justice thing. You know, they go to a planet with fucking slavery on it and they're like, oh, we better save this one kid. Right. Like, because he's our chosen one. And they're not actually doing anything that the guys in the original film said the Jedi used to do. 
And fans saw that as some kind of plot hole, like George Lucas slipped and made the Jedi evil. No, he just when, made it more interesting. Yeah, he made it more interesting by saying the Jedi were never that great either. There has never been legitimate peace and justice in the universe, and we need to fight for it. See, I like that. I like it when you describe yeah. it, you know? I, it, I think it's a, it, the prequels are really neat. I, I honestly think that there's interesting storytelling in there. Let me ask you a question. Um, Do, are you familiar with... Uh, there's an article, I guess, about a year mm-hmm. ago that was comparing uh, Star Wars 4, 5, 6, and then the prequels to sort of like the ring cycle of opera. Are you familiar with um, that? Where it's like a rhyme scheme that's like... Uh, it, it's a very unorthodox rhyme scheme. I remember reading it. Bod- um, you're talking but about I think- Bodner? Yeah, yeah, it's like a, they um, go in like a yeah, it's yeah, a, the, they they sort of uh, they mirror each other, but they mirror each other in like a uh, circular way. That's where the character kind of late motifs for uh, Star Wars came another, from. Yeah, another really cool um, point I like to make about the prequels is in the in, in behind behind the there behind the scenes footage of uh, the movie, Lucas makes a lot of jokes at his own expense. Like he turns to people and says, "You know, tell me when to say action or cut in case I forget." And he makes jokes about how bad his direction is and stuff. And there's a lot of, you know, he's kind of endearing. Mm-hmm. And the a lot of fans like the those videos, uh, the Plinkett reviews, they're called. Yeah, you know, they, the, the Red Letter Media shit. Yeah. yeah. They purposefully edit the behind-the-scenes footage down to make Lucas look like he's saying that stuff accidentally, like he's actually a total idiot. Yeah, that I really hated that they did that because it was it, it just felt very <laughs> unnecessary. It's like, uh, yeah. you know, if you don't like the movies, great, fine. You know, most people don't, whatever. But to to do that sort of like bowling for Columbine, like Michael Moore kind of like thing where it's like it's just like overdone like propaganda. It's like you don't need you don't need that. Like your case is already pretty strong that like the prequels aren't that great. You don't need to to come up with this grand theory that he's just like a bumbling idiot. The Plinkett reviews are are funny, but I wouldn't say there's much that's accurate about. Right. um, Especially, you know what? The thing about um. You know when he talks to like his fucking friends, which like now we know he's just talking about to his friends. But when that video yeah. initially came out, it was just like he was talking to just complete strangers or something. It just yeah. gave off that impression where he's asking them to describe certain characters in the prequels as opposed to describing certain characters in, in the original trilogy. And he's trying to make the point that the characters in the prequels aren't you know well defined and well created. Whereas yeah, the, the point is really that they're not easily summed up. Right. I thought, no, yeah. I thought that yeah. part was brilliant because it's not yeah. even a matter of not easily being summed up. I mean, mm. if you pull any book or any movie or anything off the shelf, if you can't describe things about the people in it, then mm. you'd better be making a real good experimental film because you're not making a good narrative one. That's another point that those reviews make that I hate is they say, you know, they, they go into detail about how a story should work. Like there's a protagonist and they have to do this and overcome and hero's journey, et cetera, et cetera. And then they say stories don't have to do this, but unless you're Tarantino, Jarmusch, right. you know, they go a huge list. Unless you're one of these people, you probably shouldn't experiment. Yeah, I hated I that like point yeah, that's that because that's that was shitty. really dickish. That's like that. That's that kind of film criticism that I just really, really loathe. Yeah. The other big thing I think that is kind of shitty is people make fun of the George Lucas when he said it's like poetry, it rhymes. When what's wrong with a film trying to be like poetry? What's wrong with, you know, trying to have something, you know, thematically rhyme with. Yeah, that's a great point. We were, I mean, I think it was either the last episode or the previous episode. We were talking about that kind of lyricism quality in film that, uh, you know, you can't really do anymore. I think we were talking about the devils, right? The thing is, though, there's like a big difference between 
I mean, I, I, I get what he's saying and I appreciate the content, but those movies are in no way lyrical. I mean, he's not doing yeah. anything. Well, they, they, they play off of each other in interesting ways. Like there's that, uh, someone pointed this out to me recently, actually, uh, the shot where Mace Window is, is preparing to murder the democratically elected head of the Republic because the Jedi are the good guys. He's shot in the same angle as, uh, Darth Vader is when he's, you know, putting his hand out to, uh, Luke and saying, I'm your father. Yeah, that's cool. In that way, I I appreciate the the poetry. And I've definitely seen other examples too, where it's like, it's not like the ones that you would assume that like the prequels would reference. Like the, it's, it's never like the really blatant stuff. It's always, you know, like in the Mace Windu example, it's like kind of like, you know, out of the ordinary kind of rhyming. But they're not lyrical. I mean, those are, yeah, they're not, they're not, they're not especially well. um, The characters themselves speak, in a very sort of Victorianish tone, because the story is kind of emulating yeah. that period of history. But I, I even um, mean visually, right? I mean, yeah. when you're talking about lyrical films in the sense of the devils, you're talking about you know, right? Um, visually lush, stylistic yeah. and editorial decisions yeah. that are. I feel like Star unique. Wars has the, the lyrics uh, when it comes to like uh, just that that things kind of come into place. You know, it's like that sort of sense of fate can be, I think, lyrical. Yeah. But, uh, you know... The prequels... Sorry. 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 What I was going to... What I remember, what I was going to say. Oh, you got it? Oh, right. Cool. What it reminds me of, too, is another podcast where we were talking about um, just, like, canon and fundamentalist attitudes. Yes. That's the other thing, is that, Mm -hmm. like, what you're you're describing, Harry, about these fans and and being disappointed with movies or, or lyricism... It just reminds yeah. me of how just there's this weird like seriousness that uh, it's like the same like attitude you'd approach math with, you know, there's, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. like, I think- there's no like room for expansion, not like theoretical math. I'm talking like, you know, one plus one equals two. How right. dare you imply anything else? And it's just yeah, weird. Yeah. The, uh, the word I came up for that was, or at least I heard someone say in stole was a uh, tactical realism. Right. People want a universe to be like a, like a math equation that you can solve. Right. And that's, that comes up a lot in the, in basically every criticism of the prequels is, you know, why don't they do this when the story is not a literal chain of events? It's characters doing metaphorical things to metaphorical aliens. Like there's all kinds of like, the, the, the prequels have a really cool aesthetic that nothing else has quite done where they're emulating the uncanny valley on purpose. Um, everything is designed to look like CGI, even when it's not. People have complained about, you know, the fields, the big fight happens at the end of Phantom Menace and how like fake the fields look. Mm. They're actual real fields in California that have been photographed to look fake. Um, it's like how, you know, the, uh, the hill that it comes preset with Windows XP, like the desktop background. Yeah. Uh, that's a real photograph. Um, it's not, you know, edited, but it looks fake somehow. Mm. And that's an aesthetic that only the prequels have ever bothered to even try. I don't agree um, with that. I think a ton of color grading in the past 10 years has been going for that. That's why I couldn't get through Jurassic World, because I thought the color grading no, sapped all look, the, the reality out of everything. That's probably a fairly good point, actually, yeah. I think there's they do it to make a really interesting point about how you kind of need unrealism for things to make sense. Like, right. for example, Yoda is just a puppet. He's a block of, you know, carved out, what is it, silicon? Uh, yeah, it'd be like foam. latex, foam latex. Yeah, and he's designed to be this over-the-top um, facsimile of a character, and that over-the-topness is what gives it a sense of, you know, being a person or whatever, you know, because it feels more real than real. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think Werner Herzog talked about that, where you need to lie to create truth. Yeah, it's like um, when you have silence in a movie, you have to have a sound, otherwise yeah, nobody yeah, will they, recognize it as silence. You have right. to have, like, a yeah, pin or yeah. something go. The, the, big, uh, the, the big example of silence in movies, of course, is uh, in... 
I always forget it. The boxing movie is called Stacey Made. I get the name wrong every Raging time. Bull. Raging Bull. Raging Bull. Raging Bull. I get confused with Easy Rider for some reason. But yeah, it just silenced really, really well. It's just a bunch of footage though. Uh, but well, shout the- out to Greg there. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bunch of footage. I mean, technically technically but, all films are yeah. technically but, a bunch of footage so yeah, Greg, Greg yeah. is not wrong but, with Raging Bull <laughs> in, in that s- silence you have the, the click of those cameras is that what you're thinking of yeah yeah but it goes silent but silent even the silence is like a yeah sort of like yeah like underwater but, yeah and what they do in the prequels is they remove the filmic qualities of the film and show fans what they really want and it disturbs them like Yoda is transformed into this really realistic CGI creature as if it was real and all of a sudden it's uncanny because the real Yoda, you know, has, you know, you can see blood in his veins and stuff and it's not, it, there's something wrong with it. But when you get, but the puppet for some reason feels more real and you get an interesting trade-off between those two aesthetics. Well, there I is that's the, really cool. the one thing that's bad about the prequels uh, is just how glossy everyone's eyes get when they're like all CGI. Like when I think of, um, oh no, Qui-Gon, not Qui-Gon. Taken, Liam Neeson no, from Taken. Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. Liam Neeson. Not nearly, oh. no, no. Uh, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. Natalie Portman. I don't know why I'm forgetting Ewan McGregor because I love him. But he, by the end of those films, especially, like his eyes are so glazed over. Like when he's talking, mm. that, I remember that scene where he's like, they killed the, the younglings or the, you know, the yeah. Padawans. I, and his eyes kind are just of, dead. Oh, when Taken killed everybody. I kind of like how, um, how detached from reality the Jedi get over the course of the movies. And I'm not sure if... And I feel like that kind of adds to that, even though I am basically retroactively claiming a flaw is a good point here. Like, yeah, there is a kind of clear problem where they can't see what they're looking at, but the Jedi are sort of slowly revealed over the course of the movies to be the real bad guys of the Star Wars universe. And by the end, they're just these crazy people. And it's, it's kind of wonderful. I like that point. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I do say that like, you know, to versus like the, the Yoda that, you know, Luke physically had on his back. Played by Natalie Portman. Played by Natalie Portman. But, you know, like that, you know, you can see you can see him even interacting with it, which is what I personally feel is when I I get to that uncanny valley is when I feel like no one can see them like they don't have weight, you know, and like you're just too hyper aware of the fact that it's like it's not there, but they're trying. You You notice that there's no props in the prequels, like almost at all. Yeah, like every room like, they're in is basically empty. Yeah, nobody's got any papers. Nobody's got any pens yeah. or whatever. <laughs> Which is really interesting because I think the the two things to keep in mind about the Star Wars movies, I think, is that canon was a Bible term <laughs> and that George Lucas before Star Wars was an experimental filmmaker. Yeah, THX 1138 is like one of the most bizarre anti-capitalist films of the 20th century. It's well, even, I mean, even American graffiti, the, um, yeah, the stuff he's doing with sound in that movie, nobody was trying. And I I think the star Wars movies, really what's happening is he's trying out this new technique. And I think it just doesn't exactly work, but I think like you can maybe, I think you can sort of craft something kind of cool out of the experiment. But I think the whole thing was just this experiment with digital sets that he couldn't really get his head around. If you, I think, I think the best, uh, the Star Wars movies are all kind of copying the uh, the blocking and setup of really early uh, serials, the Buck Rogers type stuff. Um, There's I a lot of um, wanna, is it Devil Dogs from uh, yeah, yeah 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 the one with the the masked guy and everything. And there's a yeah, shitload for, of Coruscant in them, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, yeah, there's a ton of Hidden Fortress and obvious stuff like that. But the, a good modern day version of those that also emulates that stuff really well is Immortals. If you've seen that, Immortals. I love Immortals. Um, 
Yeah, I still got to see it. It's very similar stuff. It's really, really cool. Immortals has this look where it's completely artificial looking, but I think it sticks the landing better than Lucas did. And maybe it's because of people like Lucas going first. Yeah, the artificiality actually adds to the sense of um, unrealness that the gods have. It makes them feel like, and that's the whole point. Very few films actually channel the uncanniness of their effects into becoming part of the story. Yeah. Uh, The prequels kind of led the way in that respect. Um, but you know what disappointed me about the prequels versus, uh, you know, Star Wars was that um, Star Wars was so dirty and everything was broken. And then the prequels were um, all so shiny and new. I, I would, I, my counterpoint here is that in the prequels, things get broken. Things start out sleek and shiny and slowly devolve into the sort of garbage trash we see. I can see that metaphorically. And so, like, I'll, um, I'll accept it. <laughs> but, like, I yeah. just feel like, you know, it's still the world still existed before this, this story was being told. You know, it's implied, at least. Uh, in the movie it's things like um in the era of the republic we have sort of an age of free enterprise and a lot of materials and people building whatever they want you have the sort of liberal capitalist utopia like the naboo people build really cool shiny spaceships and then we see over the course of them becoming an empire we see them change in their design style and eventually everything just looks like it did before i just want to point out that the only research that me and john D'Amico really did for this was that we sat around my laptop and we googled uh naboo starfighters and we just yeah. looked at those because those are so gorgeous statuses they're yeah. still great looking yeah they they, yeah. they look incredible just i love a, those starfighters just a hot ship yeah but uh you, going back to the the ring cycle thing you mentioned people have tried to come up with like ideal viewing orders for the star wars movies and i think one one of them was like four five two three six so you get the i'm your father reveal and then you get anakin growing up and then you get the ending what about one exactly one is taken out completely which is just a huge shame because the ideal viewing order is four five six one two three yeah you watch them the way they were made yeah because that's if you think about it prequels are always in a way sequels to the movies because they're reacting to everything that was in them like the end of six, what we have is the empire being defeated, or at least the emperor's killed. You have uh, the rebellion that's been trying to restore this republic getting their way, and they're probably going to build a republic now. And the prequels of them going, okay, but what would that be like? What is this thing they're trying to restore? And we see this society that destroyed itself, you know, that became so corrupt that it effectively created the emperor. Right on. Um, and it's almost cyclical and. It kind of off, basically it's kind of nihilistic. It says there's no escape. You know, we're going to keep revisiting these, this empire and this republic over and over, and there's no legitimate path out of it, except with, you know, if somehow things can happen differently. And the films are kind of about what goes missing. Um, now, do you I think that's kind of do you sorry, view okay. the um, do you view the prequels mm-hmm. as, you know, one entity, or do you have a favorite of the three? Do you, do you rank them at all? I love the that third one. Kinda, that's kind of hot. Yeah. I like um, the third one a lot too. Yeah. It's the only one I own. I like, I like a lot of parts in all of them, but I kind of think Attack of the Clones is my personal favorite just because it has so much, it was kind of a watershed moment for me going back through them and realizing, hey, hey, hold on, this has got a lot of really cool stuff in it that I normally don't expect to see in movies anymore. And it's got um, a lot of shit they stole from Fifth Element. So all I remember yeah. is Attack of Clones is just them stealing shit from Fifth Element. Well, that opening scene, right? Where they're yeah. like yeah. falling or whatever. Yeah, that's like, yeah. come on, man. I just saw that movie. It was great. Yeah, like you, you get a bunch of really cool moments of characterization. Like the Jedi are portrayed as just these bumbling idiots for all three movies. And I really don't get the people who say, oh, they were supposed to be good. And George Lucas somehow made three movies just all wrong. There's all kinds of just really great little moments in all of them where they do something 
just bad in a really dumb way, but my favorite two, uh, one is in Attack of the Clones when everyone jumps out the window to catch that droid, where he's basically just, he just does weird adventure stuff, that whole movie, for no reason. Mm. And you're clearly seeing him kind of at war with himself, where part of him is trying to be a good teacher and give cool advice, but you're also seeing this poorly trained religious zealot who just kind of wants to, you know, hit stuff with a lightsaber. Well, doesn't he never um, finish his training because Taken dies? Yeah, exactly. And in three, you get the number one greatest line in all six films, only a Sith deals in absolutes. It's such a beautifully hypocritical line. Right, yeah. yeah. And like I, the kind last of, I, I half expected Anakin to respond with, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's brilliant. And then you see the same, you know, Obi-Wan, what is it, like 40, 30 years later, say, oh, Anakin was a good friend he killed your dad. I'm a big liar. The right. Republic was good. And then you realize that him saying the Republic was That was, was the good, exact like, line from the original cut <laughs> in 77. Yeah. And then they changed it in 97. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They changed it to be, to be, to be more wordy. But uh, that's basically the whole point is you get this idea that there was never this, this beautiful time. And I think that's kind of politically interesting yeah. today where we have a lot of um, people saying they want to, let's say, make America great again. When the reality is America's never been great per se. Says the British guy. To, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, my country's terrible. <laughs> right, I'm going to have to cut your mic here. I'm going to have to cut your mic. It's been great having you on the show, but uh, <laughs> no, but we, um, we have to create a good country ourselves now, right? Uh, and not yeah, you got to move seek fidelity forward, to not place. not back. Yeah. Things, things have always been bad. That's the message of the prequels. One of the things I really dug, uh, which I don't think gets enough love, is the, the great red the jizz. Head. Yeah, the jizz. Jizz don't get enough love. Please, please, if you're listening to this, please go on the wiki, the Wookiepedia and uh, Google Jizz. Trust me on this. You came for Jar Jar, you got Jizz. That's right. But uh, what I was going to say was... Came for Jar Jar. <laughs> What I was going to say was, I really appreciate the red herring of Darth Maul. And I don't think that yes. gets enough credit. I think that's really that frustrates me so much. I think there's the, all they had to do to make those good movies was just not kill Darth Maul. But he's literally a red herring. I know, but they never <laughs> yeah. replace him with anybody better. I agree with I that. I think the, the, the rule with about- film, and I'm, I, I don't deal in absolutes, <laughs> but if I had to pick a rule, I think it was Ebert who said it. If you're going to kill Janet Lee, you have to have Tony Perkins in the wings. And Lucas didn't have anybody as good as Darth Maul after he killed Darth Maul. There was just nobody there. Maybe he should have killed someone else first as a red herring and then revealed him. But like, basically it was backwards. They had the, the great, like the best graphic design since Vader in that series. Yeah, it was, was gorgeous, that face. gorgeous face. Yeah. And they threw it away. Can you still hear me, by the way? I, I cut out for a second. No, yeah, I can, I can hear you. I can hear you. A big point I like to make with Darth Maul, because I talk about Star Wars a lot to people apparently, is hmm. uh, that his cause is legitimate. He's not just some. What's evil his cause? Guy. I all I remember was his cool motorcycle in his face and his lightsaber. You, Come on, double well, sided. Yeah. His cause, his cause is elucidated by all the other characters we see throughout the movie. Like, what have we seen? We've seen a desert planet with slavery on it. We've seen these kids living in dirt. We see these trade dealers who are lying to people, saying they only they're the only people with the part to get by. Friggin' you know, Watu, man. This trade, you know, there's trade disputes. There's all this Friggin garbage Watu. happening, and. In the middle of this, we have the Jedi who claim to be protectors of peace and justice who are just turning a blind eye to everything and muscling in on people yeah. trying to get them to do what the Republic wants. Yeah, and they like Stone Cold say in that movie, it's like not our problem, right? I mean, they, yeah. they leave his yeah. mom in slavery. Yeah, Anakin says, did you come here to free the slaves? And they say, ha ha, no. <laughs> well, don't they like pay, for, pay to get the kid out of slavery and then are just like, nah, peace, we're not doing anything to get the mom. Like yeah, they, they probably could have wired years. back to Space Planet Seven and got the money to get his mom out. 
Anakin spends 10 years with a bucket on his head. You know that scene with the kids, um, with the buckets on their heads, learning space magic? Oh, yeah. Oh, learning space magic, yeah. yeah. That's what Anakin went through. And then you wonder why he's this kind of messed up, repressed kid. But anyway, you see... We see all of this garbage, and then what little characterization we get of Darth Maul is he's this guy who wants revenge against the Jedi for something. Now, there's plenty of shit to want revenge against the Jedi for in this setup, I think, at least. He's, you know, he's got he's, a good life, though. He has a cool space motorcycle. He's got he's nice like a, duds. He's a cool face. That's not enough, man. <laughs> right on. I think he works for yeah. Christopher Lee. Like, I that's think not Harry a bad wins life. that one. <laughs> it's not, it's not enough, man. <laughs> it's not enough. I like that. I bet I bet he comes from a race of people that all like died in like a space factory accident. Mm, like, yeah. Nothing to stop. They had something. space cogs and like if they fucked up making the space cogs, they would laser their hands off probably. Yeah. And that's the whole that's the whole thematic point of the first Star Wars movie. It's the world is being turned into a giant machine. Uh, you know, we, we have planets being destroyed by big planet sized uh, robots with lasers. And it's metaphorically one, you know, like one planet is being turned into this bizarre technological utopia. You have the image of the stormtrooper and Darth Vader's mask. Like they're literally people enclosed within machines. Like it's about people being lost to this larger system. Well, it's that McLuhan thing that, uh, you, you, you wrote a piece about that, which, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. definitely check out the Annie Hall star Wars, uh, connection. I'll, I'll put a link to it on the, uh, the post for this episode. I'm glad even you can't remember the title you came up with for my article. By the way, I I mean, I liked it at the time. I was real proud of, cause we were like, we were both going back. We're like, fuck, you're like, what should I title this? And I was like, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I accidentally wrote like two articles and then had to cut it in half. Yeah, but yeah, it's I a great, really it's a great piece. Ramble. So oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, I think you edited it to be good. So thanks. Hey, um, I'll take it. Took out all the jizz parts. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, took it all out. Took out the the Wikipedia slash McLuhan because you know Star Wars fans care about philosophy. So the is, thing, is there really no page for McLuhan on Wikipedia? I I'm gonna make you a bet of money now that there isn't, but there should be. Yeah, it should be isn't for the, sure. Isn't the lightsaber be. page like longer than most novels? <laughs> like, um, I'm not even possibly. kidding. It, it's I, I looked at it once. It's like split in like seven parts. Do you have a computer I in front of you? I, I do. I remember when someone once did a word count and they compared the Wikipedia article for Knuckles the Echidna from Sonic the Hedgehog to like the article for actual human Knuckles. Oh, sweet Jesus. We're getting good typing noises. Yeah, this, yeah. this, this is great this, Foley. This, my friend, yeah. is, is a mechanical keyboard with Cherry MX blue switches. This is like, it's like typing on a god. All right, well, that's not an official sponsor, but I guess it is now. You got a telegraph Sorry. over there? Yeah, it sounds like a <laughs> Okay, no, the lightsaber is, the article isn't that long, but there's a ton of, uh, oh no, that's because there's literally a hundred mini articles about the various forms, shapes, oh my techniques, god, materials, technologies the grips what, what's um, the color thing explain lightsaber colors to me real quick why is it certain um, colors and why is it not other colors all right the original trilogy, red. okay uh good guy good guy blue bad guy red fine right sixth movie uh luke is trying to find his own path and come up with his own legitimate search for justice because he's kind of realized the jedi weren't great because the whole you know lying to him about his dad thing and his is green because it's him trying to become this new thing ah so it's like um, the the you know we have the two parties and then when they you know if somebody gets votes for like a third party they'll, they'll like use the color yellow or something or for a green party they'll use the yeah, color it's green. white hat black hat it's, yeah. it's an old yeah, cowboy new, thing it was really smart it's a new direction i yeah. like that and yeah and there's the whole thing of uh everyone kind of knows this where luke's wearing black the whole time and is kind of always on the verge of doing dark stuff to get his 
things to go right. And then at the end, you know, his shirt falls open and it's white on the inside. And it's like this basic color metaphor thing, you know, like he was good all along. He just looked bad or so, you know, it's silly. Uh, the sixth movie is, I think, my favorite one, but also it's the most silly in terms of its themes because it's really obvious about what it's doing. But, Thank you. Um, Continue. <laughs> sorry. But uh, the prequels are make the point that really color, you know, everything the Jedi do in that era is them kind of forming a religion around this bizarre pseudoscience they built for themselves, mm. like midi-chlorians to measure the force. The whole point is they think they have the force down to a science when the force is supposed to be this spiritual thing that everyone has access to, but they've got this whole code of, you know, you've got to be a Jedi, you've got to do all this Also, stuff. he reads it on a um, ladies' Gillette shaving razor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's also- my favorite piece of production design in that movie. The, yeah. the midi-chlorian sensor is a, is a ladies' Gillette shaving razor with some shit on it. <laughs> they could have just used a Scientologist e-meter and that would have made the point even yeah, better. Yeah. Like, it's just perfect storytelling because you've got these people who think they have all this stuff down to a science and then they get wrecked because it turns out that's not how the world works. There's that great thing in at the end of three where Padme dies seemingly of her own free will. She sort of chooses to die. She loses the will to live and the force detecting robot has no idea what's happening to her. I think that's the actual force working. You know, mm. it's something other than using midichlorians. It's this larger metaphorical thing. Was that um, a force detector? I just thought that was a doctor robot. Well, the robot, was doctor robot. De- the robot can obviously detect the force because, well, it thinks it can because we have machines that can in the prequels. Uh, but the point is they don't I detect just, the actual... I thought that was just know, like a blue collar, I guess a white collar, just, blue- you know, like a, a working man doctor robot, you know, like... <laughs> I really want to see that sequel. Yeah, where's just, the doctor trauma robot spinoff trauma of, uh, room, Star Wars? <laughs> trauma There's room doctor robot is yeah. what I thought. Yeah. There's a lot of episodes of the uh, Clone Wars series I've heard about where the robots have like free will and have lives and emotions, and then they just get murdered by the Jedi. That's Yo, that's happening all over those movies. Yeah, yeah, the, the movies are really careful to humanize all the villains. How come for, you know, R2 the, didn't get a uh, medal? Yeah. How come R2 and Chewie didn't get medals? Uh, because, the, because the Republic was fucking racist. That's Stone Cold Space racism. R2 <laughs> yeah. was sitting there in the back. He was the one who saved that ship when it got hit. He was beeping yeah. and booping, and he fixed it sacrifice them and he doesn't even get to stand up on the podium like chewy yeah see the good thing about lucas too is that you definitely feel for uh r2 and c3po as like the first characters in those films that you actually like you know they take you through it they're They're the wise fools it's yeah yeah, it's really beautifully they're your people and you're actually you know you're seeing it through the eyes of two slaves essentially yeah exactly uh, and it's important to remember that in the republic they have robots doing all the work for them those robots have free will and are basically slaves yeah so the republic is not that great you know it's a real bad place for anyone who's not a jedi or one of the rich people. well they have so those re- the restraining collars on them in the first star wars mm-hmm. yeah. remember r2 tricks yeah. him into taking the restraining bolt off and then he he runs away yeah that's right yeah, so it's yeah. it's really That's like a, the first scene in that movie practically. Yeah. It's a brilliant way of of showing us the empires through the the eyes of like the lowest lowest rung. You know, those those yeah. are those are exactly. who are steering those are the people who are steering us through the entire story is just is And and that's why bringing it back to Jar Jar, uh, I'm deeply dubious towards people who think that little of just some little guy trying to make his way in the universe because that's they, those were the main characters in the prequels. They were just the people trying to make sense of it all. And at the end, uh, C-3PO get, becomes like a god of the people of, you know, of the... Of the, the Ewoks, the people, yeah. Of the Ewoks. forest and moon like, of Endor. That's a really, really basic pseudo-Marxist point about, you know, elevating, you know, the weakest to the position of power and, you know, creating genuine equality. The meek shall uh, inherit the earth. 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, meanwhile, in the prequels, we have fans going, oh, this Jar Jar is so terrible. I need to erase him from history by editing him out of the prequels. He like, was he, terrible, though. Well, here's the thing. Jar Jar... <laughs> he was, he's just this clumsy guy. He's, he's just he a dude. Funny. I'm, he's, I'm with he's Harry. He's just a guy. Yeah, yeah. he's just a guy. I, the one thing I'll say is that his, his the whole the whole race thing that's happening in those prequel, like, that's a little bit... That's like, it reminded me of, like, a Lady in the Tramp or something. Yeah. You know, the, like, there's the a pe- lot, like, a lot of, like, stereotypes. He's like, hey, I give you a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but a lot like, of that. And, and the big so, fat guy in the diner that everybody forgets about was yeah. sweat stains. <laughs> the, the I, like, I kind of, I kind of think that the, the minority characters in the prequels talk funny because that's how these aliens happen to talk, and they're nevertheless worthy of like respect and democracy. I don't mind that kind of, but I feel like the the whole Misa like Misa Jar Jar yeah. Binks is like that's like old school racism. Well, yeah, so it's, it's a like, little step yeah. and fetch it. That that's like fucked yeah. up. But I I like. I don't have a real problem with Jar Jar otherwise. I thought he had a cool race. I really liked when, you know, you got to see where he lives and you go underwater. Well, Boss Nass was sweet. I mean, we established that. Yeah, you know, so like... Uh, that should have been about Boss Nass. Like, he was he was interesting. He just, yeah, he just was sort of like, you know, the, we get stuck with this guy, you know? It was like, all right, fine. Like, I don't think I cared or noticed until everyone starts talking about how much they hate Jar Jar later, and I was like, ah, I guess he was dumb. Well, he became, like, symptomatic for something that really it wasn't just him... And he wasn't probably even the worst example of it, which is that the characters in those m- three movies just have no charisma. Any of them. I think that the treatment of the characters like Jar Jar and like young Anakin by the characters and the fans in the prequels is sort of symptomatic of, I guess, the problem with how people watch those movies and how people think about the world, where people have to have, they have to speak a certain way in order to be worthy of respect. Because, you know, in the prequels, you see all these, you know, lesser races that have no say in their society. And the Jedi really don't give a shit about them. Like, they uh, they only talk to the Naboo people because they have something they want so they can help the humans. Mm. Um, they even give them this, you know, pseudo-Zen uh, bullshit. They say, hey, look, you know, you form a symbiont circle and all this. And what they're really saying is, help us or karma might get you, I don't know, um, in order to, you know, con a ship out of him. And it's it's there's something kind of dark about that. And I feel like having the aliens talk in a funny way um, so the Jedi feel semi-justified and viewing them as a lesser race is kind of a satirical point. This is a kind of weird thing to say, but imagine if people of other races really did talk like the stereotypes. That wouldn't make them any less worthy of being a part of society. Well, of course, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 in re- but, but now the you're, you're doing what like the, the fans do, though, which is that now you're not looking at it as a movie, you're looking at it as an alternate universe. Yeah, that's a, that's that's a pretty good point, actually. Yeah, uh, I normally don't go to that to that level with it. I would have um, rather the movies had had stated that though. For me to buy that completely, I would want to see some really obvious shows of like racism, and then shows of like you know there like there is it's all sort of there, but it's never like pointed out enough to make me sort so of it's never tied together. That. It's like the subtext yeah. was too subtext. Yeah, uh, if that because that's what makes me feel like there it's like not really a subtext. Is more of a, sort of a mistake of like we'll make them fun, you know? Like I I kind of like movies that don't tell you how to look at them, where you kind of have to find a reading that you like. You kind of have to bring yourself to it. If you're told what to think by something... No, the, well, really that's totally it. fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. But I think when it comes down to something like this, like uh, this sort of that... Uh, oh, yeah, old, I kind of... I see When it gets there. more like um, old school racism, it's like, we are we still need to be told that. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, and also when little, it's like a, a, yeah. a structural component of the film. Yeah. You know, if it's like the edifice of the movie. Right. Yeah. You know. 
All right, we're going to take a uh, quick break here, and we'll be back with more discussion with Harry Brewis. So, more jizz. Uh, more jizz, oh, more man. Jar Jar, maybe. <laughs> it doesn't get old. But uh, yeah, jizz, jizz does not get old, folks. <laughs> oh, it does. Uh, actually, they have it does. to freeze it. It really does. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hello, Smug Film fans. Did you know that Smug Film now has a voicemail box? Just call the following phone number. Seven one eight three nine five nine seven one one, and leave a question or a comment about the show, along with your name, and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you for listening, and now back to the show. And now, Chloe Peltier reviewing a movie she's seen parts of while working at the theater. So I've been working the new Bond movie, Spectre. And it's making me want to see the other Bond movies because I've never seen them. And this is supposed to be not a very good one, but I'm still really enjoying it. Like, it really gets me relaxed when I walk into the theater for, like, most of the movie because it's got a very sultry tone. Like, the shots are really pretty and uh, they've got, like, this desaturated kind of foggy vibe to them. And then the music, the soundtrack is really good. It's really intense. It goes from, like, da-da-da-da-da-da, like your, your classic James Bond thing to, like suspenseful type stuff and I get the feeling that the other Bond movies are like this because they're like this mix of over the top and um, like very intentionally ridiculous but also just like extremely chill and it kind of makes me feel that way when I'm working it because there's some scenes where like in the beginning there's a lot of people and a lot of drums and it's really intense and that's right when I'm in the middle of my drink rush and I'll be walking in there and feel more stressed out and adrenaline pumped than I actually am because of that scene being going on so big in front of me while I'm doing all that stuff. It's like all these people walking around in costumes. It's like, and I'm like, ah, the camera's moving around. So it feels like I'm stuck in that and moving around. But then there's like other scenes where it's like him and a lady and it's all like, and I just feel very chill and like relaxed. And then there's other scenes where where like it's the action of course and all that and that's really intense but it's like I'll be kind of dodging around at the pace of the action. I found that happens to me with other movies too, not just James Bond, but like it happened with like Mission Impossible and like Jurassic World and and like with Guardians of the Galaxy and whatever. Basically, if the soundtrack is good, I'm going to move with the soundtrack, you know? And uh, that usually to me is a sign that like I'll enjoy the movie whether it's good or not. Thanks, Chloe. And now, back to the show. Hello. My name is Jay Brunner. My Twitter is at Bobby Slow. That's at B-O-B-B-Y-S-L-O-W. I am very muscular and tough, and I can beat up multiple men every minute if necessary. I love women, especially pretty and smart women. Women of that caliber, please message me. This is not creepy whatsoever. I love you. Goodbye. All right, so that was a uh, that was a little plug. You know, you go, you donate on Patreon, we'll plug your stuff, and that was from Jay. We thank him for his kind donation. You're gonna be hearing something from Jay, and every episode, pretty much, we'll do some little fun thing for Jay. Definitely check out his uh, his Twitter, Bobby Slow. He's a fun guy. We like him and uh, fan of the show. So so uh, muscular. So muscular. And uh, also, we want to throw a, a shout out another another Patreon supporter, 
minor key games. Dave and Kyle make games. They're two brothers. They make really fun games. I don't really like video games. I'm not really a big video game guy. I like the old stuff. I haven't really liked new video games in a very long time, but they make new games that feel to me like old games. I really get into them, like especially the one Super Win the Game. Fucking amazing. I was obsessed with that for a good three days. I just played it straight. I beat it. I think I might have beaten it before anybody else beat it on uh, Steam or whatever. Really, really definitely check them out. Minorkeygames.com. There's Eldritch. There's Super Win the Game. There's uh, Neon Struct Diogenverwelt or however you say it. And uh, they're all really fun. And uh, there's Gunmetal Arcadia coming out soon. I don't know when, but check it out. And uh, really fun stuff. Have you played them, Jenna? I haven't because I don't have a gaming system anymore, which is sad. But I love both of those guys. So, you know, they're awesome people to support. Definitely check those games out. Quality games, folks. Spoiler warning, Eldritch is the game of whatever year it came out in. It's great. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's an incredible game. One more plug. This is a real good one. We've had this guy on the show a couple times. Good dude, real good dude. Our boy Rick Harper, his movie Room Full of Spoons is coming out. Uh, go to roomfullofspoons.com. This is the documentary about the room that led to our big... Uh, our big phone thing with Tommy Wiseau. And uh, this is, I'm very excited for this movie. And I think we all are very excited for this movie, right, Cody? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, I've been clamoring to see this one for a while and they're really meticulous with this. They got damn near everybody you could want from the room in this movie talking about it candidly and it's shaping up real well. So I can't wait to see it. The cool thing about the room uh, is how honest it is. Yeah. Like, it's very clearly a guy who got had a real bad breakup, didn't understand where it went wrong, running a story that's his side of the, of events, and the woman is just this crazy monster because he l- just doesn't understand why the relationship fell apart. So he's written it as this thing that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a masterpiece of unreliable narrator. It kind of reminds yeah. me a little bit of like Lost Highway in that sense. It's great outsider yeah. art. It's really like straight from the id. Yeah, there's something, and I, I, I legitimately mean that, alongside, you know, the, the funny jokes about the, the spoons and there's, you know, it's funny, but there is something human in there. That Absolutely. You don't see yeah. And I, I wonder respect for Tommy Wiseau. Which I didn't feel in his other stuff. Like, I tried to watch a TV show Wiseau oh, yeah, did, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I couldn't I couldn't make it 20 minutes it's, into it's, it. It's leaning really hard into the sort of ironic bad thing. He's yeah. not trying to make a yeah. point anymore, and that was what made it so good. Also, like, the impressive thing about The Room is that the production values are mad good. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, really, really well put together. 35mm yeah. film, you know? 35mm yeah. film and digital shop side by side, yeah. which is the best. Yeah. But yeah, yeah like, I, the, I, the, the... I'd love to read that book about... He's planning on doing about, you know, digital versus film. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I'm dying for that book, yeah. yeah. All right, so to bring it back to uh, Star Wars, let's talk a little oh, bit about man. Star Wars 7, because that's the upcoming one. That's the one we haven't seen, that nobody has seen except... Uh, you know the people that made it. I How assume. much jizz is going to be in Star Wars Seven? That's the topic. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to predict uh, seven quatloos full of it. <laughs> All right. I don't know what a quatloo is. I think that's a Star that's Trek a Star thing. Trek thing. That's what they were gambling yeah. with on. Uh, I did it? The gamesters of Triskelion were gambling in quatloos. Where'd you pull you that pl- from? Jesus. You want to <laughs> if play there's Dom anything Jots? I know, it's original Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What was? Wait, Jenna, you might know this. What was the? What was the game Kirk invented to? Bedevil the prohibition era gangsters. Ah, damn. What? I know. Fizbin? Fizbin, right? Fizbin. That sounds right. But I, it's, that I have to rewatch. That I don't remember. Wow. I think it was Fizbin, everybody. 
man. You should all but, check uh, out my that's Twitter. That's it. I'm going home now. That's check all. Check out my FML McCoy Twitter if you really like Star Trek to bring it completely off topic. This is a great, great Twitter. Yeah. Oh, have you guys seen Riker Googling? Yeah. No. Oh, it's a Twitter. It's just Google searches that Riker would have done. And Perfect. they're just really funny. <laughs> I like the uh, the little clip collection of Riker sitting on chairs on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Have you oh, seen yeah. that? Yeah, where he, he always puts his leg over the chair and then sits down. Yeah. They all sit in weird ways in Next Gen. It's <laughs> yeah. like, it's just a catalog of different ways it's to sit. <laughs> Have you seen, uh, I think it's called the Picard Maneuver? It's the thing he does when he pulls his shirt down when he stands up. You know, he had his chiropractor write him a note after the first season that they had to change the uniforms. Because the original <laughs> uniforms are like destroying everybody's backs. Mm. Because wow. there are these like real tight like latex things that were apparently just like telescoping their spines. Jeez. So Patrick Stewart came in with a note from his doctor and was like, you gotta, you yeah, gotta they change had to, this. Um, they had to ease up on the costume, the bizarre over-sexualized costumes they made for Seven of Nine uh, because the actress was actually like passing out. She was the unsung hero of that show, Jerry Ryan. Yeah, she was an actress in a world of mad people. I actually really like the Janeway character. She's, yeah. She's, you can tell that... I don't think it's on purpose. I think they were trying to make her a heroic character, but did it really badly. But she comes across as someone just losing their their wits she, slowly over the, the course of a journey. I can see Cody losing his mind. Right? There, there's no, there's an interview I spaced with out her. And I was like, wait a second, are we still talking about Star Wars? <laughs> Hold on, there's an interview with the with the actress with Kate Mulgrew where she says in the seventh season she just started playing the character as insane because it was the only way she get the scripts to work. That's like a documented thing. Which is, well, she's a really good actress because it's it, like you really buy it. She she played Ahab basically. Well, Terrible show, rough. but yeah, that's why yeah. I didn't like Voyager. I don't okay, know anything right. so, about the so, new Star Wars movie. Yeah, on the topic of uh, Star Oscar Trek: The Force Awakens. <laughs> yeah, have you Star seen the trailers, guy? Uh, no, uh, I've seen. I think I saw a teaser. Um, a teaser. He's keeping it yeah. virgin. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I like the Star Wars movies. Uh, I'm not like a huge. Mega fan, obviously. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think Wikipedia's garbage. I have a very particular enjoyment of those films. Um, I don't think these I, mega I, fans are fans. You, exactly. I don't think me. they're actually fans of Star Wars. They're just but, uh, like their own weird freaking world. My two favorite movies are the most anti-canon films you could imagine. They're like Gremlins 2 and Return of the Living Dead. They're just both... Return of the Living Dead is hardcore brilliantly within the sphere of Night of the Living Dead, yeah. though. Yeah. The movie lied. Yeah, but that's, lied, that, I mean, man. that's not like an anti-canon movie. I mean, that's the writer of Night of the Living Dead. Also, I guess the Night um, of the Living Dead movies have this weird other actually, sort of... Return of the Living Dead was written by Dan O'Bannon, who wrote... Um... No, it was directed by Dan O'Bannon. It was written by John Russo, really? who wrote Night wrote of the Living Dead. Well. They might have teamed up, but Russo had a hand in that script. O'Bannon yeah, this, directed this... it. He was an underrated director. Yeah, it has the, the, the conceit of being about... These, this is the actual thing that the zombies are based on. And it doesn't work at all like the movie said they would. You know, you go for the brain and they just keep going for you. There's just something just unkillable about them that's terrifying. And it's a pity that in all the sequels they made them die in like two hits because you cannot have a story with immortal bad guys because they just win. It's a badass movie. Gremlins 2 as well. Um, Gremlins fantastic. 2 I get behind. Yeah. Yeah. Just it, it's really because it's, it's kind of being an over the top sequel. It, it can make fun of itself and it can have really cool imagery that doesn't need to have any grounding in reality because it's a silly movie. So, you know, you have the image of the corporation clamp with just a clamp on planet Earth crushing it. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, this is anti-capitalist imagery. Sure. It's very, yeah, just right there. it's very um, live action cartoon. Like yeah, down yeah. to the point where it's like, it's like those old, like uh, Bugs Bunny or I guess probably Tex Avery is a better choice. So 
Tex Avery yeah. thing where they run out of the frame and then they just run into white space. Like they run off the frame of film and then they like look around and then they run back on into the film. It it has that quality. Gremlins he ended up too. directing the Looney Tunes movie after that. Yeah, Dante. which was like a great yeah. choice. What do yeah. you think yeah. of Bride of Frankenstein? Because Bride of Frankenstein, I always thought was like the primordial soup of that kind of sequel. I don't think I've seen it. You are fucking up, homie. <laughs> My God, I've got to see this. I don't watch that many movies, you know. Uh, Bride of Frankenstein. Really the the whole deal was he didn't want to make a sequel to Frankenstein, right. but it was the only way they would let him direct Showboat. So <laughs> he just gave him. He gave him a hell of a thing. I'm gonna have to watch that now. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, we um we actually have a uh, a voicemail that we should play from uh, Rick, uh, our boy Rick Carpala. Do we oh, think Ricky? it's about jizz? I don't think it is about jizz actually, but you never know with jizz. It, it could pops be. up sometimes. It you know, pops it just, up. I like in old books when when someone talks, they say they ejaculated every yeah. time. That makes me laugh. Every oh, that's book, the best. Yeah, any book, any time, any day. Wuthering Heights, fantastic book about <laughs> ejaculation. There's a good beat about that in Fargo season two. The guy's reading a book to his kid, and, and that oh, happens. is that good? I, I've got to see Fargo season two. It's oh good. my god! I, I was really let down by True Detective season two, so I sort of didn't want to risk Fargo being bad. But all right, this one is from uh, Richard Carpala, and uh, here it goes. Hello, Smug Film. This is Richard Carpala calling. I was uh, hoping to peddle a project of mine. It's a short film called Iris and it's going to be playing at the New York City Horror Film Festival. Um the festival hold on hold on one sec. Sorry. I'm, I'm What are you doing? I'm on the phone. Sorry. Um got a little sidetracked there. I just uh I'm about to eat and uh you you you're uh you, you know what you're doing right now is you're overcooking it. Yeah. We talked about this, didn't we? Because what I'm smelling right now is burning steak. Okay? Now, unless you have a time machine and you can go back and start cooking this thing over again, I don't know what we're going to do. All right. Hello? Yeah. Hi. So... The short film is Iris. Um, it's a uh, thriller about a hitman who is off uh, in the woods burying a dead body when his uh, cell phone sabotages his plans. Uh, now, the screening is going to be a Times Scare. That's right, Times Scare. <laughs> Friday the 13th. Now, what's special about Friday the 13th, uh, aside from uh, the fact that, uh, you know, it's a holiday for horror fans, all over is on this particular day we're going to be playing before sorry hold on one sec oh, oh you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna put a new steak on huh what what do you what do you think uh we're gonna do with the other one we're just gonna throw it away come on don't be ridiculous put it on my plate we'll we'll open it up we'll, we'll take a look inside and we'll see what's going on um, as I was saying, um, the film will be playing before Friday the 13th, the original, uh, which is very exciting. So I hope that all your fans over at Smug Film come out for it. I think it'll be a wonderful, wonderful treat. 
uh, Halloween is over, that doesn't mean that uh, we're finished celebrating, right? Okay. I'm going to go eat my steak. All right. That was Richard Carpala. <laughs> <laughs> I think Rick should get back in touch with us and let us know uh, about uh, how his steak went. Rick, I, well, I want to talk to you about your marriage. Something's going wrong, <laughs> buddy. Yeah. You got to work on that, bud. I don't know about you guys. I've actually seen uh, his movie. No, really? I've seen oh. Iris. He sent me a cut of it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. What am I? What am I? Cool. Chopped steak? I, I believe you're chopped steak, Jenna. <laughs> I would like to see that. That sounds real good. Yeah, I like gonna, that I'll premise. S- yeah. I'll ask him if I could send it your way, and then I'll send it your way, because I'm sure he'll say yes. Or well, we can all just guy, go For to a guy talking to himself <laughs> about steak, pretending it's someone else, uh, the guy probably has a good sense of No, that's real. Uh, that's real. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it's real. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. <laughs> By the way... um. <laughs> Shout out to Hectic Knife. I'm not sure if any of you guys have seen it yet. I have. I have. You, oh, cool. I'm yeah, a good. fan. So there's a good scene that I got reminded of by that uh, voicemail. I'm sure everyone knows. It's bagel related. Yes. Well, everyone okay. meaning me, you, and Jenna, pretty much. Everyone. <laughs> In yeah, the, the world. Whole, everyone who listens to Smoke Film is going to get that reference. Yeah, yeah. So Greg DeLiso's film, Hectic Knife, which I'm not sure when it's coming out, but it'll come out soon. Really funny Dude. comedy horror. And uh, I'm glad you, you dug it there, Harry. Yeah, it was, I was um, real big into it. I thought, how could, you know, this guy's opinions about film are like 100% wrong. How could he make... And then I just loved it. I was like, oh, well, shit. That needs to go on the DVD box. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, if ever there was a, a poll quote, that's the one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure Greg sticks that on there. Oh, man. I, I really want to make a film and have it be hated by everyone and put just all those on the box. But uh, luckily, I'm so bad. Luckily, you're such a good filmmaker that nobody ever has anything bad to say. So you have no bad quotes to stick never, on the box. Tell me tell me, finish anything. tell me, about Carpala's film. How long is it? What, what are we looking at? I think it's a good seven minutes. That's a nice length for a horror short. That's, yeah, it works. Is it spooky or is it like funny? It's uh, It's got some humor in it, but there is some chilling uh, shots. I would say chilling, chilling moments. It's not a jump scary, but it's a little grotesque and things take turns and you see things you didn't think you would see. And uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly. It lives up to its premise, which is the nicest thing I can say for any fucking horror anything, because that's a big problem with a lot of that stuff usually is that the premise might be good and then the execution is kind of not so much. But this one, this one's real good. So, yeah. Well, let's yank them on the show one day. I want to. Yeah. We're going to do some steak and film talk. He yeah. Does screenwriting, really cool, too, yeah. I think, normally. So. Yeah, man. Normally. Normally. He cooks a steak. Yeah, we can talk about steak and all that. That guy eats he steak the all meat. the time. Apparently. You eat it raw. That's the that's whole point. That's shit, man. That's all he you does. You drink the blood and you gain its power. That's the whole point of eating meat. Do you oh want God. the power of a cow? I kind of do. They got nice yeah, eyelashes. I've, I've, I've met some cows. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want the power of a badger. <laughs> no, badger meat is rank. Yeah, but I mean, if you're drinking the blood to get the power, they can scurry. They have sharp claws. They're wily. They can, they can die by the side of the road and slowly bloat up into a horrifying mess that you cycle past every day on the way to school. I mean, yeah. I could do that. Yeah. I could do that now. It's not that hard. He's <laughs> <laughs> doing it right now. So speaking of Star Wars. Um, speaking of Star Wars, I, uh, I want to ask you, because yeah. we, we started talking about this a little bit not to break the fourth wall or anything but we were talking about this before we start recording our favorite star wars like youtube videos and you have a you have a a nice pick that you want to tell us about yes okay um i think it's only on funnyordie.com but if you google uh next star wars by uh bobby hacker his name is 
he has made a short film uh, a few years back that of what he thought the next Star Wars movie would be, and is quite possibly the funniest thing that's ever been made, and also the best Star Wars film. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, Bobby Hacker is a genius. Just everything about it is perfect, and I never get ceases to. Like, I laugh all the way through it, and it's probably one of the most influential things in my in my comedy life. Right apart on. From, uh, apart from maybe DVD talk by this guy called Cody Clark. Okay. Um, all right. I, I think I'm familiar with. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. Who the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite yeah. DVD talk episode? By the way, I think I forget which one it is now. I think it was the. You did the first one, and then it was either second or third one that I showed all my friends, and they were like, "What is what is this?" Beautiful. Stop. Beautiful. And then someone else said, "Oh, Cody Clark, I know that guy. We should watch his film." And we did, and it made me change my course uh, from English to English and film, and it ruined my life. So thanks. Right on. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> Cody, what's your favorite Star Wars YouTube? My favorite Star Wars YouTube. Um, it's this little video that nobody's really seen. I, I, you know, I'll tell people about it and they'll be like, I don't know what that is. And then I'll send them and be like, oh yeah, it was okay. But uh, yeah, it doesn't have many hits, barely anything, but it's this kid and he's like playing around like, like the Star Wars lightsaber. It's like this nerdy kid. And he's like, it's like he videotaped himself like uh, at school or something with like a school camera what the hell is this or something. Sounds made up. It, it's titled like Star Wars Kid or something, but it's a, it's like a video nobody's ever seen is it or like heard a thin of. Kid, like a. You guys aren't going along with me on this. This is like this is millions of hits, people. I think Come he on. was going along with. He that. was. Yeah, yeah, I was going along. Come with on, that. Man. Oh. isn't that a deleted scene from the Phantom Menace? Come on, oh, man. right. Well, I was with you on that one. You were so oh. in it that I thought you weren't in it. <laughs> 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 you were. He, John just pulled off the best acting I've ever seen in the world Although, because I we, bought we it. Made this. We could have made this whole section about like uh, our favorite remixes of that video because there's tons of really funny edits of that. It, you know, to be honest, it is a bona fide classic of the internet. It's, yeah. It, yeah. Everybody's seen it. it. It captures something about youth that I think is beautiful. And I'll, I'll make a point that the movie Tusk is dog shit, but part of why it's dog shit is because it does the Star Wars kid thing, but it does it in this incredibly fake way. I wrote a review of it on the site. I'll, I'll post yeah. a link to it, my review of uh, Tusk. Did you read that one, Harry? Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, so you understand what I mean about the... the yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, that'll be a little inside thing between me and Harry, and you'll have to go and read the article if you know want to know what we're both nodding at each other about. So, uh, and, and in keeping with you know things that are bad but have something human to them, a kid playing with a lightsaber is there's something touching about it. Oh yeah, you know, oh everybody's been that kid. Oh absolutely, yeah, I still am that kid. <laughs> All right, we're gonna. Do you guys have picks? Sorry, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, 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 shit, man. Sorry, what are y'all's picks? And then we're gonna close it out. I have I have two because one I'm not sure is still on YouTube. Okay. But there is a great one where they did the Battle of Hoth, but it was like a documentary about it, like the Ken Burns Civil War documentary. Oh, wow. nice. That was really funny. It was like 10 minutes or something and it I mean it's so spot on. They start with the like the X-wing in like the morning sun, like the cannon at the beginning of the Civil War documentary mm. and like it's all like the letters home. That one's very funny. But Aww. I, I don't know that it's still around. I think it was just called the Battle of Hoth. Uh, if you can find it, that was a really good one. It's 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 like ten minutes. It's and then they recreate all the like pictures because the Civil War documentary was all photographs. They do them all yeah. with like little Star Wars Ken dolls and stuff. Wow, it's really funny. That's cute. Yeah, nice. it, it's really good. And then my other one that I know you can find is called Richard Pryor Star Wars Bar, 
And it was for Richard Pryor's show right after the first Star Wars came out. He uses the actual cantina costumes, which is really cool to see because you can see them like out of the movie. You can see them not cinematically lit. So you really can like look at them. But he's like he's playing the bartender in the bar. It's really funny. Nice. That's great. Yeah, that, that one's great. I mean, it doesn't sound like much, but it's Richard Pryor. So just just watch that one. And Jenna, what's your uh, Star Wars YouTube pick? My YouTube pick has to be the Star Wars Cantina song for nine hours, 59 minutes and 59 <laughs> seconds. Right on. Which is just the Star Wars Cantina song <laughs> for nine hours, 59 minutes and 59 seconds, which is great. It gets you through a whole work day and yeah, then some. That's great. How far have you gotten into that? <laughs> I don't... Longer than you hours. care to admit. Yeah, right. longer than I care to admit. And then I want to just throw out, even though this is pre-YouTube, but I'm sure it's on YouTube, is the Star Wars Cantina as sung to the tune of Copacabana. Right, yeah, that's You're a classic. You're Cantina bar-centric. Fucking, yeah. it's my bar, man. That's <laughs> Can't beat that bar. But Have like, you ever taken the, uh, the Cantina bar song and slowed it down 300%? <laughs> that sounds like something I'm going to have to do. It's a very specific thing to do. It's it's very... Any song slowed down, that amount becomes its own piece of art. It's just great. That's People how they did Justin the soundtrack Bieber. to Dread. That's a slowed down Justin a, Bieber song. Yeah, I was getting a yeah, I was getting a um a haircut, and some guy like had this new speaker system in his barbershop. Was like, hey, recommend me a song that's good that I can keep on, and you can your haircut's free. And I was like, okay, Justin Bieber slowed down three hundred percent. Trust me. And I put it on, and we listened to it for like twenty minutes while he cut my hair. And then he said, actually, no, you're paying for this haircut. <laughs> <laughs> So but I liked it. The takeaway for everybody from this episode is you have to go home and Google jizz and then <laughs> slow down the Star Wars song 300%. That's, right. That's some good jizz. Be, yeah. be sure to go, not not just Google jizz, but w- Wikipedia jizz. Because if yeah, you just, just Google, Google jizz, jizz. <laughs> you're going to end up on a whole other rabbit hole. We're trying to steer you to a very specific rabbit hole. <laughs> So uh, oh, uh, we didn't actually talk about how we think the new movie is going to be. Uh, I can, I well, can sum up my feelings. My take, I mean, I said it on the last episode, but basically it's going to be probably the biggest and best piece of fan fiction ever made. And that's just uh, what it's going to be. It's At the end of the day, it's fucking fan fiction. That's all. I think it's going to be probably a generically average movie and fans will be okay with it, but they won't feel permitted to love it the way they're allowed to love the originals because of the, you know, the mythos that's been built around them or they'll absolutely hate it. It's one of the two. Um, How about you, John? I think the cast is great and the cinematography looks really good in yeah. the trailer. It, it's the rest of it at I'm, all, but it looks really good. Yeah. I mean, I don't care if it's Star Wars. I mean, the prequels were yeah, yeah, yeah. Star Wars. It looks really nice. I'm, I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to keep my expectations low and I don't expect the writing to be great, but like I'm confident it'll look really good and the cast will be great because I can't say enough how good that cast is. Yeah. yeah Oscar Isaac in particular. That's very inspired choice. I'm, I'm 100% with you. Yeah. That's, that's exactly how I feel. I'm like, I'm trying to keep optimistic, but like not too optimistic. But like it looks pretty good, right? I'm t- no, I'm totally going to go as soon as I can when I can buy a ticket. I refuse to buy tickets in advance. Me but too. I'm, yeah. I'm not doing it. that shit. Harry, did you buy tickets in advance? Uh, I'm probably going to catch it on DVD in like three years. I, I still <laughs> haven't boy. seen Avengers Age of Ultron and I'm like this big critic of the nah, uh, skip that. movies though. But that's like, you know, whatever. All right. Did well, anybody see I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I barely oh made God. it through the first. I can't do them shits. I saw the first Have one. Have we done it? Have we built a consensus of four people who haven't seen Avengers 2? Is this it? I don't think a lot of people... I mean, I know technically a lot of people saw that one, right. but like, I don't really know anybody who 
talks about or thought about or saw that one. Oh, I do. Except that they've talked, they've stopped talking about it like a couple months after they saw it. You know, mm. it's like the, the, oh, yeah. the, the yeah. same Speaking crap. Of which Marvel have like basically weaponized all the weird um, fandom shit I was talking about before. Like, you know, oh, like, yeah. this expanded universe. Marvel have said, okay, we are making a cinematic canon and are leaning so hard on that that fans can't do anything but watch every movie in order to, you know, relentlessly categorize everything that's in it. Yeah. So they've managed to find a way of to make money out of people's, you know, um, neuroses, self-inflicted need to, you know, document what happened to Captain America's shield. I just want to reiterate all of these terms, all the canon stuff. Those are religious terms. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want that, us to I, ever I'm lose sight of that. I know, I know, I know a, you yeah. are. And I just want to really reiterate that. This shit came from people dealing with... This is like St. Augustine. And this is how people treat the fucking Captain America movies. They Uh, treat them the way they treated the the New Testament. The best way to read the Bible as a philosophical text is to ignore the canon. Yeah, because it's it's too too self-contradictory. You can't... Because there was so many different writers over so long, you can't... Yeah, you have to interpret it. There's like three different creation myths in the Old Testament. Each each version of the the death of Christ is different. Like, the... The I only way to, he, in, to understand the Bible as a text with a message is to basically throw out large parts of it and willingly interpret it in an interesting way. That's you know, why it's uh, a bummer when they expand the Star Wars universe. <laughs> yeah, the more exactly. Same it, thing. Yeah. The more shit that's going to come in. and then it's Star Wars, be the weird. New Testament, just ruined the whole thing. You yeah. Know? Stick with the Old Testament. So are the old movies the New Testament or the Old Testament? That's the trouble with prequels. You really can't. Mm. Um, the, the old movies are a very straightforward um, story with a really nice co- progressive thing at the end about how like at the very end, Luke's like, Hey, I'm not going to fight you emperor. And the emperor's okay. I'll murder you. And the, the basic point of star Wars at the very end is you kind of do need to use violence to make things better, but you just have to hope that you're being righteous about it and doing good with it. And that's a kind of interesting message. It's not something you'd expect from a movie about heroism and, you know, not fighting your enemies or whatever. Mm. Uh, the prequels, Add a nice spin on that by saying, yeah, by the way, democracies can create empires and have in the past, you know, it's very much a Rome metaphor. So it's not really a testament thing. There, there is no Christ-like character in the uh, in the Star Wars prequels. What, what, whoa, 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 let me stop you there. What about Sando Sea Monster Man? Uh, the closest we have to the Jesus Christ right. figure, Savior I'm of the right, Universe, that was is Darth Jesus. Vader. So, <laughs> that goddamn um, fish was Jesus. <laughs> That's my favorite character in the prequels, by the way. The fish? That gigantic fish that ate all the other fishes that nobody that talks about. That is a very about. biblical thing. It's his a, name you know, is Sando. and fishes. If you look him up on the Wikipedia, his name's like Sando Fish Monster. Sando Calrissian? <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's like one of the biggest like beasts in the entire whatever. And nobody ever talks about him. And he didn't get his, his, his just desserts. It's a really well-written article. He's the biggest beast in the entire whatever. <laughs> yeah. I think I wrote that one on there. Yeah. <laughs> I was drunk on jizz when I was making that. Oh, God. I'm just assuming it's an alcoholic beverage. I'm just, I'm hoping and praying that that's do you, what we Do you honestly about. not so know Google what it, it is? Google it right, or wiki, don't Google it. Don't Google it. Okay, but please w- don't wiki, Google it. Wikipedia that right now. I want, I want to get this live. Wiki, we need this live. Okay, We're not going to say anything. We just want your live reaction, okay? Get that jizz. jizz. Oh, do you, do you mean Jizz Box? Jizz Whale? Okay, just Jizz, okay. A lot of options. Jizz is an upbeat swinging subgenre of music. <laughs> <laughs> Most notably performed by Figurin de Apostrophe Anne and the Modal Nodes and the Max Rebo Band. Max Rebo Band. I was more of a no, Modal Nodes fan. Yeah. 
I like Max Rebo's early stuff. That's jizz. The Cantina song. So Jenna's YouTube pick is 10 hours of jizz. As it would be. That's that's just honest. An ocean. You know, you know there are websites. <laughs> all right, folks. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for being on the show. And uh, Harry, thank you for skyping in. I'll uh, I'll see you again in another you know year and a half. Uh, hopefully sooner. Hopefully far, far sooner. Away. Cool. Awesome, man. Take care, everybody. Thank you all for listening. See you soon. Bye bye. <laughs>